Welcome on in to another edition of Cattails, the Weaver State Athletics Podcast with Paul Grua and joined today by Jerry Bovey, the Athletic Director at Weaver State. Jerry, good to have another, another podcast today. It's fun to be here today with our uh, amazing guests that we'll have on. We've tried right to here. get a lot of amazing guests and today is one of the uh, most amazing, we think. This guy needs really no introduction. Most people will know him as the voice of the Wildcats. He is a three-time Utah Sportscaster of the Year, including the... I guess you could say defending champion of the defending current the Utah sportscaster, sportscaster of the year. And raining. No, raining. raining, that's probably better. <laughs> Normally, someone that does the interviewing, today we get to interview him. He's Steve Clocky, the voice of the Wildcats. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's going to be fun. We're glad to talk to you. Uh, now in your third season as the full-time voice of Weber State Athletics, and of course filled in for uh, many years before that, and uh, have, have been around Weber State for a long time. Uh, we want to talk about, of course, your Weber State days and some of your memories and things, but we also want to just talk about you and, and have the fans get to know you a little bit. And They know the voice and they know the face, but now they can know some of the some background a little bit. Well, you know, it's funny. It, 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 what goes around comes around because uh, the very first sporting event I ever attended involved Purple Wildcats, but in that case it was the Northwestern Wildcats, Northwestern's campus and stadium, about 15-minute bike ride from where I grew up. And I saw Northwestern play Notre Dame. They hammered Notre Dame. And the funny thing is, Eric Parsichan was the coach in that game for Northwestern, not Notre Dame. That is interesting. And yeah. that doesn't happen very much either, where Notre Dame gets hammered exactly. by Northwestern. So. You have told us the story. Uh, I've heard you tell it. In fact, I just heard it the other day uh, when we were traveling about your first game you did when you were 13 years old. That's right. Uh, 13 years old. My high school has uh, one of the oldest high school radio stations in the country. So what high school is that? Uh, Nutria West High School. And uh, before that, when I was in eighth grade, the broadcaster for the station for the Nutria East games was Brad Champ, who's now in his 30th year as the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. So it was uh, we had two schools, East and West, and whichever game was at home was live, and whichever was on the road was on tape delayed right after the live game. So Nutria West was the road game. So this was before cassettes and... You know, whatever you have nowadays to, to record, we actually had to haul these humongous reel-by-reel tape recorders to the sites and recorded the first half, and then one person would have to run the first half reel back to the station so that it was going to be ready to go when the live game ended. So uh, I got a chance to do the varsity game the third week of my freshman year, so I was 13 years old, and we lost 34 to nothing, and my cousin was the quarterback, but because he had a different last name and didn't play all that well, I never mentioned the fact that he was my cousin. But two years later, when we went undefeated, he was good old cousin Bob. That's great. There you go. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. What, what you were? You're a Chicago guy, North, a North suburban White Sox fan. Yeah, that's weird. I, it's very weird. But I think there were four of us in our my graduating class in high school. I don't even know how that happened. I, it, well, I, I can, it's actually a very easy story. What happened was in 1963, when I was eight years old, uh, my dad was not a sports fan, but he wanted to go uh, with the Lions Club of Winnetka to see the White Sox play the Yankees. And it was a sellout crowd. Juan Pizarro for the White Sox. Ralph Terry was pitching for the Yankees. And I was able to uh, go with him to the game. And the White Sox hit a home run in the seventh inning. A guy named Floyd Robinson... Uh, and that was the only ballpark in America at the time that shot off fireworks yeah. on a home run. And so, uh, you know, I, I got hooked right away. The White Sox won a sellout crowd, and uh, I got hooked right away. And I knew at an early age, once you liked one of the two teams in Chicago, you couldn't like the other. Yeah. That's the <laughs> and yes, when the Cubs won, you made sure you were 
you tell people you're a White Sox. That's player. right. That's yes. right. When people were trying to congratulate that's me. That's right. First Cubs game I ever went to in 1964 when I was nine years old. Uh, they were playing the Milwaukee Braves. It was a friend's uh, uh, birthday party. And I actually went to the store up the street from where I live and bought a Milwaukee Braves hat to wear to the game. Oh, well, that, and, and the, the hard thing a little bit is you're so much closer to Wrigley from where you live. So exactly. I mean, it's not too far away. Winnetka. A lot of times I would get on the L in Wilmette where it started, which was two towns south, and I would get on and go because it was 25 cents each way for a kid, a dollar to get in Wrigley Field, uh, a dollar uh, for a, a hot dog, and 25 cents for a scorecard. And I would actually go to Wrigley Field more than I did Comiskey Park, but I would go to root for the other team. Oh, that's just crazy. <laughs> so Steve Cocky is our guest today on the Cattails and Weaver State Podcast. Uh, we should give you a more formal introduction. Of course, the long time, the only voice ever of the Salt Lake Bees since uh, 1994. You came to Salt Lake right before that as well and have been associated with, with the jazz and, and sports radio in that area. Uh, did you always, growing up, always have an interest and, and a desire to do something like this? Absolutely, Paul. It was one of those things that uh, w- when you came home from school uh, in April, May, early June, and in September, and you wanted to watch the Three Stooges, or there was a cartoon show called Garfield Goose that uh, we used to watch as a kid. And if you wanted to watch that on WGN, you had to wait for the Cubs game to finish. And it was about the time I was eight years old, I started to like sports. I had a gym teacher in elementary school that uh, really kind of turned me on to sports. And I would watch the games, and you know, I, of course, like any kid, I wanted to hopefully be a major league player someday in some sport. But uh, as time went on, I got more and more interested in the Hall of Famer, Jack Brickhouse, who was uh, broadcasting the games back then and what he did. And it just seemed like so much fun. I didn't know about all the the homework before that, but it seemed like so much fun that you you couldn't play the game. That was the best way to be involved in sports. There you go. And you just always wanted to do it. Always wanted to do it. I actually, one year, sold Christmas cards and got enough points in selling Christmas cards to get my first tape recorder. And I would go to where nobody else was sitting at Wrigley, at uh, Comiskey, or Chicago Stadium for Bulls games, because you couldn't do that for Blackhawks games, and uh, and practice. Mm-hmm. And then that led to my opportunity in high school to do football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. And I think some people maybe maybe didn't know that you didn't, you didn't go to college at all. No, I, I did not. Unfortunately, I had a, a father who didn't uh, really think that was a great idea. He just wanted me to go right into the uh, workforce, but we were able to talk him into letting me go to a, uh, a what I call now a fly-by-night uh, broadcasting school in Milwaukee. And I uh, got my first job in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, out of that school, and that's how it all began. There you go. I mean, uh, I, I was there for a summer because it was a daytime-only station. And so when the season, when the summer was over with, I was without a job, so I went back home I worked in banking for four years before that same station called me back in 1977 and asked me if I wanted to get back into the business. And, you know, once I, I talked to my wife about it, uh, I didn't hesitate. And, and uh, so, as a matter of fact, uh, October will mark my 40th anniversary back in the business. Forty years. I want to get to some of these memories. I've been writing down some things I want to ask you about. Uh, did, you, if, did you pattern your style after any, any particular broadcaster? Not so much pattern of style because, you know, the old thing that I tell kids when they ask, you got to be yourself. But I think the best piece of advice I got was from Jack Brickhouse, a Hall of Famer and several Hall of Fames. I mean, when I was growing up, he was doing Cubs and White Sox on television. He was doing the Bears on radio. He was the first TV announcer for the Bulls. And he would do assorted college games and all that. 
And the best piece of advice he gave me when I met him in person was, how, no matter how bad your day has been, don't take it on the air with you because the people listening to you for the game want to escape their own troubles for a couple of hours. And so I, that's, I, I've patterned myself from that standpoint, and I think my enthusiasm for the games as well. Yeah, well, you and I have talked a little bit about the, the variety of games. What's the, first of all, some of the uh, strangest sports that you've broadcast? Well, I did once uh, for a radio station in Zion, Illinois, uh, broadcast on radio the Lake County Men's Bowling Championship. That was interesting. And at that same station, I actually was up on the roof of the building that housed the radio station and broadcast a parade. <laughs> oh, there you go. Zion, a pretty, the- pretty little town right on the border of... Uh, Wisconsin, right, right, right yeah. up near the lake. Yeah, the uh, great uh, Billy McKinney, longtime NBA mm-hmm. guard, played at Northwestern. Uh, he, uh, he was from a. Uh, I was the voice of the Zebies. Wow. There you go. Uh, we've talked a little bit also about the differences in sports. I mean, you you've done obviously basketball, baseball, football, probably more than anything. But what's the differences in preparation and in in how you broadcast those? Well, in preparation for baseball, for example. You, got to get a lot of background on the guys. You hang around them 144 days during the season. You find out little things because there's dead times in baseball and you use those stories to fill the times. Kind of try to turn the players into human beings instead of names and numbers. I mean, that's that's my main goal there. Uh, as far as the other sports are concerned, it's, just a, it's more memorization skills than anything else because you really don't have to do it that much in baseball, but in, uh, when I've done hockey, when I've done football, when I've done basketball, memorization skills, I think that's why I think my most valuable time was when I worked in Aurora, Illinois, because that was my first sports-only job, because in Zion I had to go cover city council meetings, uh, in South Carolina I had to be a disc jockey, and uh, that didn't go well, too, <laughs> because sometimes I would play 33s at 45, and 45s at 33, uh, but uh, I would do six basketball games a week, I would do uh, high school on Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, Division Three college basketball on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then uh, junior college basketball usually on, on Mondays and Thursdays. Mm. And, and along the way, baseball became, you know, the sport that you, you tended to, to fall toward. Is it because, I mean, why is it? The numbers? Or are you intrigued by A lot of guys are into the analytics of baseball and that there's a number for everything, but what is it for you? You know, it's interesting that you say that, Jerry, because that's somewhat of a misnomer from the standpoint, you know, I came to Salt Lake to be a part of the jazz and, and, and the basketball, the pregame, halftime, and postgame show. Uh, baseball came three years later, and it, I was fortunate if I had enough experience in doing it that they were uh, willing to give me the position. Uh, I had probably broadcast more basketball games before I moved to uh, Salt Lake than any other sport. I broadcast two or three football games a weekend. To me, I, I, th- I put all four, because I include hockey in this, at, at the same level as far as my interest is concerned and, and what I like to do. To me, I'm not a big fan of sports talk radio today. To me, it's all about what's between the lines regardless of the sport. Yeah. What's the hardest, though, of those sports? Is there one that's particularly harder, maybe? Most people expect me to say hockey, but over the years, to me, football's always been the hardest, just because of the yeah, the distance. You've got 22 guys mashing at one another during in the middle of the field. It's, to me, it's a little bit harder to describe what's going on. Yeah, I would think so, too, and the number of players you have to keep track of and memorize and so forth. 
We are talking to Steve Clocky, the radio voice of the Weber State Wildcats. Of course, you can hear him on 1430 KLO for all the Weber State men's basketball and football games. What do you sense of You know, I probably got it from family. I mean, uh, there was stories about uh, uh, my dad and I were never really close, but he uh, he did have a, a, a little bit of a weird sense of humor. He would... He, or the famous story that I remember is that he would uh, was in a class in, uh, the, uh, in high school and the teacher had a, had a hearing aid and he got the, everybody in the class together before the teacher came in. He would kind of slap the desk and everybody would talk softly. Then everybody would talk softly. And he would turn his hearing aid up all the way and then the bell would ring at the end of class. It scared him half to death. <laughs> so, but no, it's, and I had an uncle who was once pulled over uh, because he had a loud car. And uh, the police officer allegedly said, okay, son, where's your muffler? And my uncle said, it's not that cold out, officer. <laughs> there you go. See? But, that's what it's famous for. So, but, but before you, I mean, all of these things are part of this, this uh, vocation, this career. But you had to have the pipes. When did you know that you had the voice, the, the, the sound, to do this? You know, it, it's funny because uh, uh, unlike most kids, in their formative years, uh, listening to the two top 40 stations in Chicago, WCFL and WLS, I would listen to the White Sox, I would listen to the Cubs, I would watch them on TV, I could late at night pick up KMOX in St. Louis and listen to Harry Carey do the Cardinal games, I could pick up WBZ in Boston, and I'd be the kid, my, my mom would send me up to the grocery store to get something at uh, the old A&P, and I was walking up the street and all I would do is Chicago White Sox baseball is brought to you in part by. It's just something that it just started. Like, you know, it was funny. Tone, the, the intonation and the, the cadence of it all. After my first year with the Buzz, uh, then with the Deseret News, uh, uh, the uh, uh, radio TV critic uh, wrote a story and, uh, and criticized my analyst on the game and said, all I have to say about Steve is, was he born with that voice or did he watch too many games growing up as a kid? So uh, I called him up in his office, and uh, he goes, hello, and I said, I watched too many games as a kid. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, I was born with it, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can, you, you can kind of train your voice a little mm -hmm. bit, but, uh, and, but the cadence also, as you practice that. That's what's so much fun about the multiple sports, and that's what you know Jack Brickhouse was so good at, because each sport has its own rhythm. And uh, you know I might sound to people completely different, doing a Wildcat basketball game than I am a Bees baseball game or, or, or whatever I happen to be doing. Everything is different, and that's what makes it so much fun. A lot of people probably come up to me and say, oh, you have a dream job. It's, and they, a lot of people probably think it's pretty easy. You know, you just show up and figure out what's going on in the game. There's more to it than that. I mean, there you, is. Well, you do quite a bit of preparation, obviously, homework. When, when, I, when I first uh, took over with the uh, uh, baseball in 1994, uh, and, and as the years went on, I would tell my kids, and they were 11 and 6 when I first started doing the buzz, was that I do more homework now than I did when I was in school. Of course, that might have explained my grades back then as well. Yeah. yeah. So how do you prepare? What, what are the keys that you look at? As you, and how, how far out on a game do you start to prepare for the matchups. Well, it's funny, Jerry, because that's really evolved over the years. You know, you, you tried to, it used to be you grab as many newspapers as you could, find stories about it. It wasn't always easy. You hoped that uh, that maybe the local library would have out-of-town newspapers. I know uh, there were bookstores that would carry out-of-town newspapers, and I would try to 
bring all that in and, and talk to the players and what have you. And nowadays with the internet, you just have to know the, the right places to go. And, and even uh, through Twitter, I try to follow some of the kids on, on Twitter, uh, not to invade their privacy, but maybe there's a funny story or maybe there's something with the family that needs to be related during the course of the game. That's uh, uh, it, it's, it's something that uh, you know we'll play on Saturday and by on Monday I'll start getting ready for the next game. Always that preparation, definitely about that. Uh, let's get into some questions, some uh, some of your just a rapid fire memories here. Your most memorable game ever in your career? Boy, there's you or, know, or a few, obviously. Yeah, there, there's just so many, uh, and all are memorable for different reasons. Uh, uh, I mean, one that jumps to mind right away was the triple overtime game in Pocatello when I was filling in, and uh, Damian hits that uh, runner in the left of the lane with half a second to go in uh, the third overtime. <laughs> if he doesn't make that shot, we're still playing. <laughs> Probably. I, I remember that because yes. I, had, I had been on a trip with the NCAA and, and came back, knew the game should have been over. Mm-hmm. I come in on the airport, my wife picks me up, we turn on to get the post-game show, and here we go. And so I listened to... I think the third overtime in my garage because I just couldn't leave. You just had me. So. <laughs> but you know that that one really really stands out. Uh, you know I, I've been very fortunate. I I think I figured out between South Carolina, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Utah. I've done close to a hundred state championship games in various sports. Uh, those are always fun because you know the high school athletics at least at that time were still pure and, and just fun to watch the competition. Uh, obviously, you know, getting the opportunity to fill in for Hot Rod on five occasions uh, with the Jazz and, you know, getting to do those six games for the Angels last year, uh, you know, just, it's just, uh, there's so many of them, I mean, and, and some are memorable in weird ways, too. I mean, how about, you know, our leaky roof at Pocatello last <laughs> two year? Yeah, yeah, two Pocatello yeah. stories. You've got, uh, uh, you know, we had a, a game that was delayed in baseball, 10 minutes in Colorado Springs because the Sky Sox right fielder wouldn't take his position. Couldn't figure out why. I got the binoculars out, took a close look, and there was a nine-foot-long yellow snake slithering around the oh. field, so he wouldn't take his position. So, you know, there's uh, fun things. There's a lot of fun things, and, and that's the other thing, too. Uh, bottom line is to have fun. That's why maybe I'll, I'll drop some, uh, try to drop some humorous things. Some people might think they are. Some people might think they're not, just because it's still a game. I mean, people take it seriously, but it's still a game. That's why when I speak, I tell uh, young aspiring broadcasters that uh, take your job seriously, but don't take yourself seriously, because there are two definitions of the word broadcaster. One is someone who works in radio and television. Two, and this is true, that's the name, what they call that little green cart that you use in your lawn to spread fertilizer. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> it's supposed to be entertainment. It's forces entertainment, right? It's it supposed is. to be fun. It is. Some of the most memorable people you have interviewed over your career. Famous, memorable, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is. There's, you know, again, I go back, you know, David Ortiz, before he became famous, was playing for the Buzz in 1999. He was, you know, a... Hard to understand sometimes. His that English got better. Oh, yes, yeah. it did. Yes, it did. Big poppy. Uh, you know, he was great. Uh, you know, getting a chance to interview Michael Jordan in the mid '80s uh, when he uh, was uh, just coming on board with Chicago. I would go into maybe eight or nine games a year and and, and uh, interview uh, uh, him after games. I know that uh, uh, you know Bobby Hull, and, and even. But I think of all the guys and, and people that I've interviewed. One that stands out to me most for a lot of different reasons is 
the audition tape that I sent to the jazz for to be with Dave Blackwell and Ron Boone on the show uh, was an hour-long show. It started out with a segment with Nick Charles from CNN, who was absolutely great. He was very encouraging to me afterwards. Uh, the local semi-pro football coach, because I wound up doing the uh, national championship game for semi-pro football that year. But the final segment was a one-on-one -on -one with the late great Arnold Palmer, mm. because uh, about two miles from the radio station, he was designing a new golf course. And I got to go out with him, a few other people. Uh, all you could see for miles, maybe, uh, were these pile, piles of dirt. And he would go into a great explanation as to what's going here, what's going there, what's it going to look like over here on the ninth hole. And I remember two years later going back there when it was done, it was exactly as he envisioned it. It was so much fun to, to, to pick his brain, not about his career in golf, but how he designed golf courses. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I remember, you know, I'm growing up in, in Utah, I was such a diehard sports fan in that early 90s, and I remember when he started the Sports Journal mm -hmm. back on Kissing 570, I guess, yes. right? Yes, yes, good memory. AM, way back there, and Blackwell and, and Boone, and he did sports talk with, the, with the, of course, the Jazz pregame, and those, those were some, uh, some fun times. Um, talk about Hot Rod Hundley. I mean, you certainly were around him and, and knew him well, and, and he's a legend, of course, in Utah. Oh, absolutely. He's a, you know, he was a, like a lot of you know, guys at, at his status. He was a little wary when I first came because he figures, here's another guy who's trying for my job. Yeah. And so, like, uh, uh, but after a while, he and I got along great. He was uh, very supportive. Uh, uh, when the times came when he missed games to make sure that I was going to be his fill-in. So, yeah. uh, from that standpoint, it was, uh, it, it, it was fun to be around. And uh, just sitting down and listening to some of his stories were just oh, yeah. uh, so much fun to listen Absolutely. to. And you developed a, a good relationship with Jerry Sloan as well, with yes. the Chicago ties. Well, it's funny because, you know, his first year with the Bulls, was the Bull, which was the Bulls' first year, uh, they played at a, a barn called the International Amphitheater. It was right next to the old stockyards, and it smelled like it. And it was bad. It was really bad. And uh, when I first met uh, Coach Sloan, I, I said, Jerry, you guys played at the amphitheater. It smelled awful. How could you guys stand it? And he looked at me with his typical straight face and goes, see, I'm from a farm in southern Illinois. It smelled like money to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, to the point where you, you also get to, get to work at all or meet Dick Mott over the years and you know as an old wildcat once I, I met Dick once and that was because I was working in a bank in Deerfield Illinois and they were playing the Bucks that night in Milwaukee in the playoffs but he was walking the mall with his wife and, and he was gonna drive up yeah. he was gonna drive up later we went up to see him and when he talked about taking the job in Chicago he said I initially turned it down because we had a better team at, at Weaver State <laughs> uh, that I was coaching than, than the Bulls at that time but, but those were fun teams to watch yeah, though so when he turned that around they yeah. were tough as nails well you mentioned you know several hot rod of course and Dave Blackwell was a legend in Utah as well but so who are some others uh, some other famous broadcasters that you've had the chance to interact with and, and meet I, well, it's, it's funny. Uh, a few years back, uh, the Angels were playing the Dodgers at uh, Camelback Ranch at spring training, and a mutual friend introduced me to Vin Scully. And uh, he goes, well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Steve. And I said, well, sir, this is actually the second time we've met. When I was in sixth grade, my teacher took me and another friend 
to go see the Cubs play the Dodgers. It was Sandy Koufax against Ken Holtzman, and you were walking up the steps towards the press box, and my teacher was originally from Brooklyn, wanted me to make sure that I met you. And without missing a beat, Vin goes, and you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a chance to talk with uh, you know, John Miller uh, a little bit, and, and Chick Hearn, the station I worked at in Aurora, Illinois, was where he got his start in the late 40s. And in the late 80s, I flew out to Los Angeles to interview him uh, for the station's 50th anniversary. And uh, three years later, I'm doing the, you know, the jazz work, and he shows up and sees me. And it's like we were long-lost friends, and I told him what happened. And every time the Lakers came to town, he would always seek me out to see how the, the kid who worked in Aurora was doing. Yeah, that's great. But there's a com camaraderie around broadcasters. You're all in the same business. and there's So, so on one hand, uh, you get along and you work together. On the other hand, everybody's paranoid that somebody's going to take their job. Exactly, out. exactly. There's no, there's no doubt about it. That's, that's why the dynamics of the clubhouse and AAA baseball are interesting because they're all one step away from the big leagues and they're trying to play well to get to that step, but they're also playing with guys who are in the same boat. So it's always interesting to see how they get along. It doesn't always happen. Yeah, that's interesting. I love the story you told about Brent Musburger coming to a Bees game as well. Yeah, 1998, it was uh, the year, the second year the, the Jazz played the uh, uh, Bulls in the finals, and it was between games one and two, and Kim Turner had uh, called me to ask uh, if I could leave ten tickets for Bob Costas in his party. I said, sure. Would Mr. Costas be willing to come up and join me for an inning? And Kim said, sure, no problem. And so the third inning rolls around, fourth inning rolls around, no Costas, no group of ten, they never showed up. Fine, whatever. Um, sixth inning rolls around, I hear the door open behind me, and I kind of was walking into my booth in the middle, and so I'm kind of glancing over my shoulder, and there's Brent Musburger. So I, when the inning ends, I introduce myself, and he goes, yes, yeah, Steve, I was uh, driving back from Park City, listening to the game, so I thought I'd stop by and say hi. So I, I asked him if he'd be willing to join me. I, he said, sure, and I, I promised him I would not bring up the fact that when he first made the move to television in Chicago, he, uh, or I should say the CBS station there, wanted to play up his Montana upbringing, so every night on the 10 o'clock sports, he did it in a denim shirt and a bolo tie. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. so I've been over this over the years watching broadcasters. There's habits you all have. There's, there's pre-game rituals. I mean, players have them. Mm -hmm broadcasters and, and news people happen to. So talk about those funny habits or things that you like to do or that you've seen others do. Dave Blackwell. You well, the one thing that you've probably noticed since I started doing even when I was filling in, I'm usually very, very early. And the reason I'm very, very early is I want to be ready to go three hours beforehand. I want to make sure everything's set, everything's working, and now that I have everything set, all I have to wait is for the start of the pregame show. I like to go around, I talk to fans, I talk to the other broadcaster, I'll talk to whoever wants to talk and uh, just shoot the breeze and you never know, you might pick up a, a little nugget that you can use during the broadcast, but I just, I be talking to the fans is great. Back in the 80s when I was doing men's fast pitch softball in Aurora, Illinois, I picked up something from a fan that I've used ever since in my baseball and that's, they, they came up to me and said, Steve, could you? Uh, every time that there's a new batter, let us know whether he's a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter so we can uh, picture it in our minds. Oh, that's so that's something, so you never know what to, I'll hear something from a fan and it's something, okay, that makes sense, I'll incorporate it. Well, we know that doing the bees is what, 144 games and you're tied up from 
March to September. So then about three years ago, we asked you if you want to do Weber State games, which ties you up from September to March. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of downtime, do you? Uh, you know, I don't, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't uh, trade it for anything in the world. It's, uh, it's, uh, first of all, I was flattered that you, you guys asked that, uh, that, uh, to be involved in it. It was something that, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but there were a lot of times when I was working on the jazz stuff I would come up to football games and come up to basketball games, and no other electronic media would be there. I, I felt a closeness to the to the school and the athletic program, the player, the coaches over the years, and all that. Really had a lot of fun with Brad Larson, and and so when when you guys, uh, well, I obviously wanted to check uh, with with my wife, but uh, to me, I have no hesitation because it's a, it's a wonderfully run athletic department, uh, two great coaches in Jay Hill and in uh, Randy Ray, and be a, a small part of it is uh, it's just a, a lot of fun for me. Well, Jerry, we couldn't be luckier, that's for sure. No, it's, it's great. It's been fun to watch. Um, Steve, I mean, he's a consummate professional. Uh, he does like to get there early, get, that's, but, but that's good. They're, we're habitual in the things we do, but I also, no, there's a skill and an art to even just the interview post-game interview you're dealing with coaches sometimes sometimes they're happy sometimes they're not happy on a loss and and how do you get you know all of that out of them you've developed a, a way to do that and you can sense I mean t tell us a little bit about your process and you know it's interesting because uh, when I was having to do that the jazz you know coach Sloan was even keel you didn't know the difference whether they had won or lost I, the only difference I could tell he was harder on his players after they won than after they lost but uh, you know, usually there was the cool down period and all that, and, and it didn't take long for Jerry to put the game behind him. Uh, I've noticed, you know, with Jay and Randy, there's fewer games to deal with. It. You know, Jerry had an 82 game schedule, Jay only has 11, Randy usually about 30, so there's a lot more lying on each game. So uh, even when they win, sometimes they're, as you say, Jerry, they're not happy. So I really have to be careful, and I, I try to read them. Uh, maybe just throw out a, a general question about the game first and then kind of read them what kind of mood they're in, what direction to take. I don't always take the right direction. I get a glare or two, but that's okay. <laughs> that's, just, that's just part of it. It's, uh, I mean, the, the, the emotion of the game is still raw for those guys. That's what's great about sports, and I think that's what makes it fun for your job is e even though it's predictable, there's, you know, the, the professionals come in or the odds makers come in, it's, it's always... It's always uh, very real, very up in the air, and amazing, crazy things happen. And late, I mean, like our Southern Utah game. Utah game. Utah game. I, mean, I, I don't know what was crazier, the finish or the fact that David Hale spiked the headset. Yes. It was, it was, that was one of the most it amazing was. finishes I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. I mean, tw down the 26 with seven and a half minutes to go and, and winning the football game was just I mean, you've had games where, where, I mean, we had this year, earlier this year, 76 nothing game. You have games on blowouts on either side. Right. Those have got to be a challenge to kind of keep that energy. Absolutely, going. absolutely. Yeah. The, I know uh, that was, I mean, when you're ahead 76 to nothing, it's a, it's a lot thing. easier. It's, it's a lot easier. Yes. Not easy, but it's, but it's easier. easier. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I can remember one time we were doing a, a TV game for the Bees. It was, 19, no, 2006, and the Bees lost 28-5. to 5. It was a <laughs> Sunday afternoon. The game took... Three hours, forty-five minutes. We were televising it on uh, on K Jazz, and my analyst that day was uh, PK Patrick Kinahan, and it was uh, a long three hours and forty-five minutes. So, how do you get in the mode of 
uh, when when you're in a situation where there could be some history, take even last week. That mm -hmm. that would have been we're coming down to the wire. That would have been the first win for us against a, a power five school in school history. Does your do you start to let your mind go there? Oh yes. Oh, yeah. there's no doubt. There's no, my mind starts spinning 100 miles an hour, and I get this, you know, feeling in the pit of my stomach that like, okay, let's let's what keep going. Let's like, let's not. Like an athlete, like a coach, I can be a little bit superstitious. So I'll, you know, I'll use the same pen. I'll, I'll write the order the same way every every game, just in case something happens. So it's a, I definitely feel in a situation like that, whether it's a, a no hitter or as you, I mean, I got that feeling last year down in Cedar City as they were starting to score. They they got back to within 15, I think it was. Uh, you thought. This could, this could happen. This could happen. So it's different for us that work in this industry. That you know, the games mean something differently than, than a, a normal fan, and, mm -hmm. and so you do get caught up in in all of that. And and you do in your world as we do in mm -hmm. ours, and it's what makes it what's makes right. it. And that's the important thing for me. I mean, I I still have a lot of fan in me, and I I can tell the difference in a broadcast when a guy doesn't have that in him anymore. And I I think uh, when you're the conduit for the fan, I think in some ways you have to process the game like a fan would right but not but but be careful not to I mean to, to still keep your head about oh, you yes. and keep the some in in your industry will be so so far on the side that it, that you, you, you kind of do the fans a disservice in mm -hmm. how you call the game yeah there's a balance because you can't be a homer too much and you have to still call it like it is right exactly exactly but but and to me the one thing I've tried to do over the years if a guy you know makes an obvious mistake and it's got to be obvious um, then I'll, I'll I'll point it out, but I'm not going to harp on it for the next uh, half hour or so and bury the guy. It's just uh, you know it happened, and so be it. Especially when you're talking about college athletes as opposed to professionals, right, sometimes right. there's a difference there too. No and, question. And generally, you know, maybe if there's a piece of strategy that I don't understand, or you know, I'm not going to say, well, that was a stupid call. <laughs> I, I, I'm basically I'm going to question it in a way that I will let people know that I will ask the manager or the head coach afterwards and or the next day and 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 get an explanation after maybe usually the next day or the next week to, so that uh, you know they're still not hot under the collar over what happened. And do you find calling a baseball game that way because baseball is so much more strategic than I think most people I mean situational bunts versus this or that do you find yourself getting caught up in that and and because managers can go all different philosophies. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, what what helps me right now is that we've had the same guy, Keith Johnson, for uh, six of the last seven years. So I, I I can anticipate what he is going to do strategically. That's interesting. And I've been, you know, I've had a chance to actually be in the hot seat. I remember one time when Phil Roof was our manager, the team had lost seven in a row, and he was beside himself, and he called me into his office and goes, "Steve, this guy's got to hit number three. This guy's got to hit number seven. Other than that, you fill out the lineup today. Well, that's great. And, and they won the game, but boy, was I nervous all, all game long. Sure. So I don't know if Paul's going to ask you about this, but you've had a chance to call games in the bigs. Yes. Uh, is that the same in, in your world? That's the same excitement as it would be for an athlete getting called up, wouldn't it? It really was. It really was. I was ecstatic. It was ironic that when the, the first series I got a chance to fill in last year was in Seattle because when the Angels called me, I was walking the waterfront in Tacoma. And uh, I got to the ballpark, it was a 7 o'clock game, I got to the ballpark at 2 o'clock, set my stuff down, kind of surveyed the field and had this calm about me like, okay, this is going to work. 
Two minutes before I go live, Mark Kubisa, the former Major League pitcher, comes over from the TV booth and gives me the Leslie Nielsen to Peter Graves, we're all counting on you speech from airplane. <laughs> <laughs> that brought the house down for you and your mind. Like, it it really did. And, yeah. you know, it was funny, too, because it, it, it didn't escape me that this was being broadcast back to the second largest market. I mean, they could have gone out and gotten anybody really to, to do it and that the angels had the confidence in, in my abilities to do it and i had a great time working with mark langston the former major league pitcher I, see that was the thing with, with the baseball i worked solo so i wanted to make sure i didn't step on, on his toes and the second trip into baltimore the angels called and they said uh, when you get to town just report to the four seasons i said four seasons in the pcl i'm lucky if i stay at the two seasons <laughs> exactly oh that's great you, I'm, I'm sure it's you know obviously you would have liked to probably gone on to a professional career either with the with the jazz or the or the angels or, or twins or whoever it is but you've been able to still do some pretty big things there's no question well there's no doubt about it i mean i, I could sit uh, you know the corner of my uh, room and pout because i didn't make it to the big leagues for whatever reason but you know i i've had a chance to do a lot of different things meet a lot of different people do some things i never uh, ever had a chance would have a chance to do otherwise that uh, when I mentioned earlier, I had a chance to do, uh, I had to cover city council meetings and whatever when I worked at the station in Zion. Well, because of that, through uh, a connection with uh, a state representative, somehow I got invited to the White House for lunch with President Reagan. So uh, they had, he used to have regional press gatherings for lunch, and somehow I got included in the Midwest uh, uh, luncheon. They don't have cheeseburger and fries in the White House. No, I'm sure. <laughs> One thing I always liked about you, you're similar to me, you always keep stats, and I'm not saying stats of games, but stats of yourself. Games you've called, <laughs> you've missed, places you've been. I mean, you, you keep track, and you remember all those things. It, it's fun. I mean, I, I, you know, you know I, I don't want to ever sound like a coach and, you know, says, hey, it's your 1,000th win. Yeah, and yeah. No, I, to me, you know, the fact that they've trusted me to do that many games, I mean, 3,481 for uh, uh, the baseball team. And you've only missed how many of these games then? 21. 21. Yeah. And only, only, only one due to illness, though. Okay. So and that was because of a bad grilled chicken sandwich in Vancouver. There you go. There's a story behind that, too. So th that brings up another part. Uh, in this industry, food is a big deal. Yes. I mean, you live from going to a stadium to the meals that you eat. So you're, you're a foodie. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Oh, I'm a picky foodie, but I'm a foodie. Yeah. So, uh, but another stat you keep is the triple oh, D's. Yes. yes. Uh, I got hooked on that TV shows when it first uh, came on the air on the Food Network, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and and I noticed uh, on the website they kept track of where they are. And I said, wait, I go to a lot of these cities. So, uh, to me, I, when I travel, I like to eat local. Uh, but sometimes local can be iffy too. So I, I just thought that would be a great way to, you know, maybe venture about town, the different places that I have a chance to go to and, and check it out. And, you know, in the PCL, I've been to a lot. And even since I started doing the Wildcats, I've hit all six that are in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area, uh, a few, a couple of extra ones in, in Portland that I hadn't been to. So it, it's really a lot of fun. There's a couple in Portland that you've been to that have now closed down that were on the show. Yes. At least one, I know. So How many have you been to then? 161. Wow. There was one in Phoenix I wanted to go to, but I still can't fathom the fact that an ice cream store closed down and went out of business in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> so Seattle, or uh, we're, we're Sacramento. in Sacramento. Sacramento. So, uh, so what's what's the place here? That Jamie's. 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 It's only open Monday through Friday, but they're famous for their garlic filet mignon sandwich, their clam chowder, 
and Sacramento Magazine rated them as having the best turkey club sandwich in town. Okay. Funny, and kind of a, a couple cities kind of cross over between the PCL and, and the Big Sky. You know, you've, yeah, Sacramento certainly is one. You've been to Reno, of course, we went yes. to Reno with the Big Sky Tournament. So you've been to a lot of cities in the West, I mean, uh, numerous times. Right. Yes. Right. And then, uh, you know, it, it, you know, we were just uh, in baseball, we were in New Orleans this year, so. Uh, with the baby cakes. I'll say it, you won't. I won't say it. <laughs> okay. But there are some you know, great places there, regardless of whether they're on Triple D or not. But I went to one place and had the uh, uh, jambalaya that was so good. And then I was about finished. I called the waiter over and I said, I've got some bad news and some good news. He goes, well, give it to me straight. What's the bad news? Bad news, my doctor says I shouldn't eat desserts anymore. I said, well, what's the good news? I looked around the room and I said, I don't see my doctor anywhere. Give me the bananas foster cake. There you go. <laughs> Most memorable press box food reminded me. Jambalaya. Oh, yeah, Jambalaya. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was, that was great. Was that, the, uh, McNeese State. McNeese, yeah, yes. yes, during the flood. Yes. Despite the flood. <laughs> <laughs> there. That was also the first, that trip to McNeese State was the first time, because it was the only breakfast place in the area, that I'd ever eaten at a Waffle House. Oh, it's also the last yeah. time I've ever eaten at a Waffle House. <laughs> well, I knew we were in trouble that night, and I'm going to try to keep this on the, the upside, but the horse in the end zone, and I just, Paul and mm-hmm. I are standing there, I just a- happened to ask the, the facility guy, how often is this horse used, used the end zone mm-hmm. as, as a bathroom? Mm-hmm. Oh, never happens, and right then, <laughs> and he ran over and put a towel over it. <laughs> and then, yeah, that uh, was and something. Then, yeah, that was a tough night. Well, you've been, I mean, you keep, you've kept track of the number of states you've broadcast in, things like that, right? Been, been to 43 states, broadcast in 32 of them. Mm-hmm. Including Alaska this last Including year? Including Alaska. Yeah. That was a fun trip. Uh, I'm sorry to see that this year is going to be the last, last year of the Great Alaska yeah. Shootout, but yeah. uh, you know they don't have the big ESPN money like a lot of those uh, sure. Thanksgiving tournaments have. You filled in for the Utes and, and been to places, I know Puerto Rico and the Bahamas and some of those great places as well. Yes, it right? was, it was uh, a lot of fun to go to all those uh, different places. Yeah. Of course, because of the Puerto Rico trip, uh, you came up and grabbed the equipment when we were in uh, Brookings uh, against South yes. Dakota State. Yes. I just remember that their athletic department was really happy with me because I found a $177 one-way ticket from Sioux Falls to San Juan. You might have been the only person in the country that's gone from Sioux Falls, South Dakota <laughs> to San Juan, Puerto Rico, but who knows? But you know, that's that, for, to me. That's part of the game too. You guys have trusted me that I, yeah. I book my own uh, flights for basketball and all that. And I, I really love to play the travel game and try to figure out how I can get from point A to point B for the least amount of money. Well, and that's one of your responsibilities with the bees. People probably don't yes. realize either is you help with the schedule of traveling. Traveling uh, both uh, the buses, which are few and far between, thankfully, because uh, I don't collect frequent bus miles, and uh, and, the, and the schedule the. Uh, uh, the helps help to schedule the flights uh, uh, to and from the different cities. We've had some fun in a short time together. I mean, being stuck in uh, in Texas and, and tweeting about <laughs> I tweeted about un-American airlines that didn't go well. <laughs> that was the same trip. Yeah, that was we ended up in Alexandria, Louisiana. Yeah. There, yeah. Sitting on baggage claim and in mm-hmm. midnight doing the Duffner mm-hmm. or the whatever that was called. Yeah. What's that called? The what? I can't remember. But yeah, it was it was popular at the time. Mm-hmm. We we. <laughs> Oh, we've, we've had we've had that the Corpus Christi trip this yeah. past year. Yes, yeah. for the few yeah. hours that we were there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, I remember. I know that, and it surprised me when when the Wildcats won the Big Sky title in in basketball in 2016 in Reno. Uh, that it was the first time that you'd been affiliated with a team that had won a, a, a championship. It surprised me. There is uh, nothing more special in my career that I own 
in my Wildcat Championship ring because I had never won or been a part of a team. And I'm not really sure why the broadcaster gets one, but I really enjoy it. But uh, and then won a championship. The, the Salt Lake baseball team, they've, we've been to the finals four times and have never won. Uh, uh, when I did fast pitch softball, we finished second in the nation twice, so, so no ring there. And, uh, and to be included in the championship ring was uh, was really, really special. And so that was a conscious decision. And absolutely. And well deserved. The family you're there for every game. And the chance to go to the NC tournament, I know, was a That was a lot of fun lot going of fun. to St. Louis. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, the game itself didn't turn out to be uh, fun. A couple of tough in and out uh, uh, rim rattlers for uh, uh, Kay Cannon and for Jeremy Sanglin that, uh, you know, Maybe we went. The thing that surprised me about the trip more than anything else was, uh, well, first of all, flying a plane that said Eastern Airlines on it, and and the fact that the quality of hotel that you stay at is based on your seating. Yeah, we were fifteen seats. Yes, we. I don't know that that hotel is still standing. Yeah. Nor is the Red Lion here in Sacramento that we were in last That's year. That's right. So yeah, we've That's right. <laughs> we've had our fair share of different places to sleep for sure. It's all part of the fun. Well, it really is. It Steve, really is. Uh, we sure appreciate you joining us here for 45 minutes and talking about your memories. We could talk a lot more, I'm sure. But uh, speaking, you know, on behalf of Wildcat fans, of course, I get the privilege of working closely with you and, and traveling a little bit with you and, and being around you. We're, we're very appreciative of you and, and the job that you do, the professionalism that you that you do, and, and the, the quality of broadcast that you offer for Weber State. Uh, you know, things have changed now. So oftentimes you're on the streaming as well at home, which is video. A lot of people watch there. And of course, you listen as well on KLO. So thank you for all you've done. And we look forward to many great well, years. Again, I, I, I can't thank you guys enough for including me in the group uh, a few years ago. And uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, more fun over the next uh, couple of years with these uh, football and basketball programs. Jerry, we are, we're very lucky, as we said earlier, to have... Uh, such a quality broadcaster and person. Yes, we are. We, we spend so much time together. I don't think most people realize how much time we spend together on the road and, and how, how much that is a part of our lives and, and being able to spend time with Steve and in these ballparks and, and just knowing that when we go on the air, we can go do our jobs at other areas and we know we're in good hands and that the people that follow us that are our loyal fans are going to get the best uh, description of what, uh, of what we're all seeing live in these stadiums and arenas. So, Absolutely. Fans. Thank you again, Steve, and, and be sure to listen to all Wildcat fans on 1430 KLO for Steve for the uh, every football and basketball game uh, again this season. Jerry, we'll hope to do some more podcasts here very soon. Yeah, we got a couple other guests that we're excited to talk to very soon, so uh, stay with us here. Stay with us. And learn sure all you can about these great people. That that's right. Work. Visit WeberStateSports.com for all the schedules and results and update the information on the Wildcats, and we'll talk to you next time. Go Wildcats!